Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as professor of law at NYU and senior lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, religious liberty and the Supreme Court. And Richard, we had a pretty significant case on this topic in the, this most recent session of the Supreme Court, the case of Trinity Lutheran Church v. Comer out of Missouri. We can get to the impact of this in a moment, but why don't you just start out by explaining for us why this case was salient, what exactly was at issue here? Well, generally, if you want to have an important case on principle, you have to have a relatively simple set of facts, and that's exactly what happened in this case. Uh, there are many programs which purport to give and do give money to educational institutions so as to improve their various facilities. And in this particular case, the uh, Missouri Department of Natural Resources was willing to supply poured rubber um, surfaces made from recycled tires in order to improve the playgrounds of various places. And many of these things have gravel and kids fall on a skin their knees to do something work, and this allows it to become better. As ever, there's a competitive process in which you have to submit an application in reply. And so what happens is the Lutheran Church submits its application, and it gets a very high score, which would put it in the class of successful grant applicants. But there is an amendment called the Blaine Amendment in many cases, named after James, James, James E. Blaine, the continental liar from the state of Maine, uh, back in the late 19th century, which says, and I'll read it, that no money shall ever be taken from the public treasury directly or indirectly in the aid of any church, sect, or denomination or religion, and so forth, right? And so it looks as though there's a flat prohibition under this thing, which makes it even more complicated, is there's another clause in addition to the prohibition which says that no preference shall be given to nor any discrimination made against any church, sect, creed, or religion in any form of religious faith or worship, right? And so what you do is you have a kind of situation in which there's a non-discrimination clause, which probably doesn't reach the playground surface, and then you've got the prohibition in the first card, which starts to say that we can't give this at all. And so the question then is, if you're trying to figure out, is this a violation of the free exercise clause if, in fact, you don't make the grant, or is it, in fact, a violation of the Establishment Clause if you do make the grant? So religion clauses have always had the argument that there's a gap, there's a rock and a hard place, and you have to see which side of that line that you're on. In this particular case, what happened is uh, nobody took the position, at least on the court, uh, that the amendment was not only there but was constitutionally obligatory. So even if they repealed it, they couldn't make this particular grant to the uh, church because that would be counted as a violation of complete separation of church and state. But there was a big fight as to whether or not under these circumstances, if you in fact denied this grant solely because of its status as a church, does that count um, as an abridgment of the free exercise of religion or not? And seven to two, they held that it was, in fact, an abridgment of the free exercise clause. Not in the obvious sense, because the obvious sense is it's not as though they're prohibiting the church from spending its own money in order to improve the service of its playground. But the question is whether or not it is a violation of the free exercise clause to deny a government benefit gotten from tax monies taken from everybody um, uh, to refuse to allow one group solely for religious reasons. And the fact that it's a clean case without dual motives meant that they actually had to answer a very hard question of principle. 
I want to get to an interesting distinction here because, as you say, the court rules in favor of the church here under the free exercise clause, the opinion written by the chief justice, Justice Roberts. But we see there some skepticism from Justice Thomas and in one of his first forays here, Justice Gorsuch, about a distinction that the chief justice makes in his opinion between funding for religious institution and what he says are religious uses of funding. He draws a distinction between those two things. Thomas and Gorsuch are skeptical. Walk us through that debate. Well, I'm always – and this one, I'm pretty clearly on the side of Gorsuch and, Con, uh, and um, Thomas. And the way in which I always put it is somebody's now making a distinction and you have to figure out which side goes which particular way. Is it worse to have a free exercise violation based on status alone or on activities alone? I really can't see the difference between them and the correlation between the two of them is so high. And that is whenever there's a status violation, it's going to limit activities. In this case, it's the status of a church. So we don't give you the money. It prevents the church from running its religious activities for recreational purposes, which are, as in all institutions that are of religious origins, have some connection with the way in which the church does its doctrine. So I think, in effect, the distinction is unnecessary under these circumstances. I'm not exactly sure how much you cut out from this decision under the um, Roberts' opinion. And what's interesting about it is you read the footnote. It's very short. It's only a sentence or two. And it doesn't explain why the thing is particularly important. And, you know, my view about it was that he didn't have to put it in there, um, leave that for a later day if it comes up. And at that point, the Gorsuch decision, uh, or opinion rather, is not going to be written at all. Uh, So generally speaking, I think the best thing you want to do is to say, look, uh, the real question here is whether or not when you run a benefits program, you can exclude a church on religious grounds when, in fact, the monies and questions are raised from religious believers and non-believers alike. And if you put it in that particular way, uh, then you could ask a sensible question about which way redistribution, if any, goes between religious and non-religious activities. In the dissent, Justice Sotomayor writes that this decision I'm quoting her here slights both our precedents and our history, and its reasoning weakens this country's long-standing commitment to a separation of church and state beneficial to both. That phrase, separation of church and state, is one that is burrowed deep in our sort of civic lexicon to the point where a lot of people mistakenly think that it's in the Constitution. To what extent, Richard, if any, is it a meaningful concept in constitutional law? Well, it's a very tough debate. It goes back to a letter that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote when he talked about the wall of separation somewhere around 1804 to some religious leader. And uh, it is a metaphor which has such a powerful resonance to it that many people endorse it. But oddly enough, although Justice Sotomayor talks about that in that particular fashion, uh, she doesn't walk the walk having done the talk. If you're a real tough person on separation of church and state, you would say under no circumstances whatsoever uh, could uh, the state of Missouri or any other state in the union make a cash contribution or an in-kind contribution to any religious opportunity. organization for any particular purposes that it's used. That would be complete separation. That is not the position that she actually takes in her opinion. She thinks very hard about it, and it's an exhaustive historical opinion. And she says, look, I can't live in a world in which either you're in violation of the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause, even though that tension is there. So there has to be, quote-unquote, enough play in the joints between the two positions so that a government which decides to do one thing or another 
another is not get into trouble no matter which those particular courses of action that it wants to take. And that's the position that she actually takes ultimately in the opinion and what she does. And it's a very careful opinion. You know, one of her better opinions goes through the sort of long history on this subject where there's an immense amount of um, equivocation of exactly how far you go. There is something in the earlier cases known as the Lemon Test from a case decided around 1971 or so uh, in which the hallmark of saying that there was a violation of church and state was the entanglement between what the religious institution is doing and what the government is doing. And the theory would be the moment you start applying to the government and you have to put forward your particular plans, uh, the very process of grant review is not going to be automatic. It's going to require some discretion. And so therefore you want to do it at all. Don't want to do it at all. She doesn't want to go that far. Her attitude is, look, I don't really know what the right answer in this particular case. And so what I'm going to do instead of having strict scrutiny on both establishment on the one side and free exercise on the other side is to sort of tack tamp back on the level of scrutiny on both halves so that you can make either decision. So to give you another example of how that works, uh, there are a couple of cases involving the Amish and the statutes with it, and the Amish as a matter of principle will not take government benefits. And so the question is whether or not, if they're not going to take any government benefits, whether you're duty-bound or whether it's permissible uh, to exempt them from the Social Security. And with respect to self-employed persons, the government gave an exemption. With respect to employees of Amish employees, when the employers employers were themselves Amish, it didn't give the exception. And in one of the cases, um, Chief Justice Berger wrote an opinion which saying, well, you know, you could do it one way or you could do it another way, a case called Lee, uh, but it's your call, it's not ours. So that's the classic illustration of saying you can go either way under these circumstances. I happen to think he's wrong on that particular case and that the exemption is going to be compelled, uh, but it's a financial cross-subsidy argument of the sort which he did not consider in this case. Generally speaking, it is hard to get justices on the Supreme Court to take the law and economics approach to religion um, very seriously. They tend to do it on more intuitive kinds of grounds, and I think the lack of that rigor often leaves them astray. So she's basically working within that tradition, and Justice Roberts is now more categorical, but his opinion simply does not in my view, address all the counter-arguments and the difficulties associated with his opinion. Um, She actually, I think, gives a more thorough account of what's going on, even though ultimately I agree with the Roberts' opinion, but not exactly for the reasons he stated. Richard, there's a practice in which the Supreme Court sometimes sends cases back to lower courts for reconsideration after they've made a ruling that they believe could affect the law around those cases. After the ruling on this case out of Missouri, they did that with a case out of Colorado where the state Supreme Court, I believe, had, had ruled that it was impermissible for the state to provide funds that parents could use to send their children to private schools, including religious ones. Uh, how far can we take the implications of this ruling for supporters of school choice who feel like a door may be opening for them? Well, look, I have actually a view that the cases in which you give the money to the parents to spend on the schools is actually a stronger case for the free exercise clause than where the grants are made directly to the schools for the operation of their children. So in this particular case, um, you can't possibly make the money for playgrounds to individual kids who are going to schools. We'll give you 49 cents so that you could expend it on this rubber tarmac for any pool that you want to go with. But tuition is a bigger item and parents have much more choice on it. And I think it's a very strong argument to say 
that if you're going to give people the money to spend on schools from public revenues, they should be able to spend it on any school that they want, religious or not religious. And so therefore, given the fact that the parents are making the choice, it's not the government that's making the decision, and that intermediate choice reduces the dangers associated with an establishment of religion and increases the viability of the overall system. Now, the argument on the other way on vouchers has always been, but everybody knows, at least at one time, uh, that the vouchers going to go to kids who are going to spend the money in Catholic or other religious schools. Well, if that's the case, I think it's just fine. It means that these are the kids who want it most. It's also outdated because in modern times, given the rise of charter schools and vouchers for other kinds of institutions and homeschooling, it turns out that the array of institutions that come into play is much larger than it was before. And I think, in effect, that anything which breaks the public school monopoly by giving parents choice on where they get the money is ideal. It means that they're going to have people watching over the way the schools run, and it also reduces the power of unions and of school districts to direct funds in their in their particular way. Uh, so I would think, actually, in my view, that one is almost compelled. That I think the arguments on free exercise are so strong in that particular case uh, that to try to exclude the religious children from these kinds of grant programs decided by parents would be a mistake. It is certainly the case that under the VA programs and so forth, that if you get a grant, you could spend it on a religious education in order to learn how to become a member of the uh, ministry because it's your choice, it's not that of the government. And so unless the government is pulling schemes or, or, or strings in one way or another to alter the choice between the two parties, I would say that it's allowed. But this goes back to earlier decisions where, in fact, the uh, Catholic dominance amongst the chosen recipients was thought by many justices on the Supreme Court uh, to render it suspect to include them in the voucher class. I strongly disagree with those decisions. So the final question that I'll put to you, we've seen a lot of jurisprudence in recent years about the intersection of religious belief and and public policy, uh, whether around this issue or the contraceptive mandate under Obamacare, these issues about forcing vendors to serve gay weddings, which is going to be coming before the court during the next session. So let me ask you actually two questions that derive from that. One, if you were to broadly characterize this era – uh, how have the courts done? And two, where is it going from here? So one way that you can see what the difficulty is in this area is to go back to the Washington case involving Arlene's Flowers and ask yourself what was going on. And this was a firm which had steadily served its gay customers and was willing to do so on all sorts of matters but was not willing to do so with respect to floral arrangements. And the owner basically said, here are a bunch of places that you can go and you can get your flowers. And then what happens is they refer this thing over to the Civil Rights Commission or the Human Rights Commission in the state and they say, nope, you have to serve these people or you're going to be put out of business. And and as far as I'm concerned, this is what the trade-off is. On the one side of the market, there are hundreds of people who are vying for the business of every customer, including gay customers. On the other side, you're putting a merchant who has no bigotry whatsoever in the sense that he has very clear, narrow religious reasons, and those are the only ones that bind, so he'll serve you in any other way that he could possibly be helpful. And you're told that this guy either goes out of business or pays a fine and has to be re-educated, which to me starts to look as though it's a kind of a totalitarian society. 
decline. And generally speaking, the trade-offs are sufficiently clear that the free exercise of religion is an accommodation that requires you to say, I do not have to serve individuals when it goes against my religious conscience. It has to be a bona fide claim. You could certainly cross-examine it. If the guy said, I'm doing this because I hate gay people and he beats them up in the street, you're not going to allow that to stand. But in none of these cases is bona fide as the slightest bit an issue. Everybody understands what the truth is. Uh, so I think, in effect, when it gets to the Supreme Court, uh, the reasonable accommodation language is the appropriate way to do that. And is it a reasonable accommodation to say that a tiny number of merchants in a tiny number of cases can remain in business even though they don't serve everybody uh, because that's the only way that they can live with their own religious beliefs? And there is a statement in the Washington case which I regard as peculiarly uninformed in which it says that no market can work unless every firm in the, firm, in the market serves every customer. That's just false. Um, essentially, in order for competition to work, you have to have a sufficient number of buyers and a sufficient number of sellers so that there's no undue concentration that leads to some kind of monopoly power. And given the number of flower shops, bakers, um, and photographers, all the trades that are involved, these are all small businesses. They have zero antitrust kinds of implications. The markets will work just fine. Uh, the firms that have flocked in to serve gay couples is enormous. This is a situation which does not need a remedy, and the Supreme Court, I think, should be pretty emphatic in striking it down. Will it? Well, this is, of course, an interesting question. Um, they delayed taking the cake makers case out of Colorado for several years now. Now they take it after Gorsuch is around, and that leads me to believe that the outcome will be five to four in favor of striking it down, the four liberals and everybody else on the other side. And it is clear that Scalia would certainly agree with Gorsuch on the sentiment side. But interestingly enough, it was his terrible opinion in the Smith case that set this whole problem up. And the maximum that I'll just leave the hour with is on financial matters. What you're worried about is cross-subsidies to see whether or not there's an undue establishment for or against religion. But essentially on matters of practice and conscience, you have to have a reasonable accommodation cases uh, where the side constraints are that you more or less can do what you want in a competitive market, but you cannot create monopoly power and then refuse to exercise it on behalf of some customers. And God forbid you can't certainly can't use your religious beliefs as a reason to cudgel um, people outside your faith or to lie to them or anything else. So uh, the exercise of freedom of religion is subject to all the constraints associated with any other form of freedom, i.e. the prohibitions against force, fraud, and monopoly. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you as always to our listeners. Remember, you can read Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow Richard on Twitter. That's at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org.